Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. On the windowsill next to my desk, there's a photograph of a Welsh priest and poet named R.S. Thomas. He seems to be scowling at me as he ambles down the path in front of his drafty stone cottage where he and his poor wife lived for lots of years. At some point, the picture picture frame got knocked over and the glass cracked, but it really seemed to improve the overall effect, so I never had it replaced. I know with an introduction like that, I know you're really hoping for a little R.S. Thomas in this sermon, and you're in luck. It's going to be a short poem titled, The Empty Church, which with that rain, I thought we might have an empty church today. While Thomas does sound like the kind of priest who really could empty out a church in a hurry, the poem's actually about the virtue and maybe even the magic of an empty church. So here you go. They laid this stone trap for him enticing him with candles, as though he would come like some huge moth out of the darkness to beat there. Ah, he had burned himself before in the human flame and escaped, leaving the reason torn. He will not come anymore to our lure. Why then do I still kneel, striking my prayers on a stone heart? Is it in hope one of them will ignite yet? and throw on its illumined walls the shadow of someone greater than I can understand. It's not a poem you're likely to find on sappy religious greeting cards with butterflies and sunbeams on the front. But if you're an acolyte or ever were, doesn't it make it a little, lighting the altar candles a little more interesting to imagine God as a giant moth who might be attracted to their frame, flame? Something we don't talk about much in church is emptiness. At least we don't talk about emptiness as possibly a good and necessary part of the Christian life. And we don't often talk about those moments when our prayers feel like steel struck helplessly on our stone hearts in hopes that a spark from one of them will cast a shadow of God on the wall. But haven't most of us felt this emptiness from time to time? Maybe lots of the time. I think the reason the poetry of R.S. Thomas moves me is because it names and even embraces the emptiness and absence that really are a part of the human experience, and the Christian experience in particular, too. In fact, I want to suggest that emptiness and absence are essential to the Christian life because emptiness may be necessary to fruitfulness. Now, none of this seems to have much to do with our gospel lesson, but it may. It may have a lot to do with it. Today, Jesus heals a woman who'd been bent over by a spirit for 18 years, we're told. Now, performing a miraculous cure sounds like a good way to fill up a church, not to empty one. But let's look at the story a little more closely. First, let's look at what else happens in chapter 13 of Luke. The parable of the fig tree is told right before today's story. That's the one in which What seems to be useless, an unproductive tree is given another year to flourish. The owner wants it cut down, but his gardener says, 
Ask if he can dig around its base, apply manure, and try yet again to make it fruitful. Right after today's story comes the parables of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, and the charge to enter by the narrow door. In mustard seeds and yeast, we're reminded that of almost invisible things that grow in mind-blowing ways. They're almost too small to see. So it's as if emptiness and absence blow up into trees and loaves. The kingdom of God is a lot like that, Jesus says. And then he says to forget the great, big, wide, open, obvious door. It's, it's the narrow one. The small, almost imperceptible one you should be looking for. God always seems to be reversing our expectations. God has this strange preference for what is small and weak and last and lost, empty, nothing. Now back to the healing of the woman. The woman whose body had been folded in half all those years. Robert Capon says there's more to this violation of the Sabbath than some cheeky religious rule breaking by Jesus. By chapter 13, the story in Luke has begun to turn toward Jerusalem and toward Jesus' death. And remember that the people writing these stories down knew where all this was headed. And do you remember what happened on the Sabbath day of Holy Week? Let me remind you, nothing. Nothing happened. Jesus was dead. Holy Saturday, it is the emptiest day of the church year, isn't it? There is less than even a mustard seed or a grain of yeast of Jesus in the world that day. Life was absent from his body. That's what Saturday had had come to mean for the first Christians. So this woman, she's been bent over. She's been half a body closer to the grave for 18 long years. She's been broken down by this spirit. And get this, she didn't even ask Jesus to be healed. Still, Jesus raises her up. She stands up straight. Her body lifts up from the earth, and she's the one who praises God. She's lifted up on the Sabbath. It's the day when God rested after creation. A day in which work stops for Jews. A day in which work was to stop so as to make us mindful of our limitations and our dependence. It's also Holy Saturday, the day of emptiness and absence in the Christian story of our redemption. That's when this miraculous transformation takes place. Embedded in the Sabbath is this emptiness and stoppage, this non-activity, right? And the religious leaders protested, I think, because they'd forgotten what the Sabbath was for. Today, empty of productivity so we can remember that we live by the grace and gift of God, not by what we've done or secured for ourselves. Add on the foreshadowing of Jesus' body in the tomb on Holy Saturday, and the story's power is intensified. The layers and dimensions of meaning are added. Because you see... Absence and emptiness are also the absolutely necessary preconditions for resurrection. It's not the living that are raised, you know? The problem with the religious rulers in the story is probably the same as it ever was. Yes, we're always setting up rules and regulations and forgetting their purpose. But the deeper problem and the deeper obstruction we can become arises from our fear 
of what we cannot control or create. It arises from a fear of absence and the disbelief that God would dare bring new life into being without our help or our approval. So we're quick to fill up the silence with chatter, spare time with busyness, absence with the presence of anything, anything at all as a distraction. We'll do anything to keep the emptiness at bay. But it hasn't always been so, at least not everywhere in the church. The word beggar comes from the Begards, who were mendicant friars in the 13th century. They went from town to town begging for their livelihood, just like the Franciscans did. We who fear emptiness and absence probably think immediately this is very unproductive nonsense. But Lewis Hyde once said that the wandering mendicant takes what is empty from door to door. There is no profit. He merely stays alive if the gift moves towards him. He makes the gift's spirit visible to us. His well-being is a sign of our well-being, as his starvation would be a sign of its withdrawal. The mendicant friar was the bearer of the empty place for the whole community. It's a strange and striking image, but we can't be Christian if we think we're in control of God's gifts. A woman whose body had been folded over by a spirit comes to the synagogue one day to say her futile prayers, just as she'd done for 18 long years. She is invisible, useless, empty, but a bearer of the empty place. She's come on the Sabbath, the sixth day of the week, a day of uselessness and emptiness and unproductiveness, a day that would become Holy Saturday when even God lay dead. And it's on that day that Jesus raises this woman up. She is the dead fig tree that suddenly bears fruit. She's the mustard seed that becomes a tree, the yeast that expands into a loaf of good bread. She is the tiny, ignorable, invisible doorway to grace. And she is why you are welcome here. Even and maybe especially if you feel a little empty and used up right about now. Because no matter how full and flourishing and rich our lives may seem on the surface, deeper down, we're all of us beggars bearing empty bowls in this life, are we not? But this is where the good news begins. Because grace is a gift and a gift may only be received. A gift can't be earned or extracted. A gift needs that empty, open, receptive place where it can gather. Maybe that's why an empty church or a church whose pews are filled and spilling over with beggars like us can still be a place where what's crippled is lifted up, where what's invisible and absent becomes fruitful and full, where what's dead is resurrected at last into new life. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.